Hi everyone, welcome to this APM podcast and new approaches to lessons learned, capturing the right lessons in the right way. Our aim today is to give you some food for thought around what works and what doesn't, and leave you with some practical takeaways that you can start experimenting with straight away. We'll be covering why getting lessons learned right is incredibly important to project success, what the challenges might be, what knowledge you should aim to capture and how best to share it. As APM's Body of Knowledge 7th edition makes clear, knowledge is intangible and complex and encompasses much more than documents or information. It exists in people and can be tacit and difficult to express. What's more, a supportive culture in which knowledge and learning are valued is essential for effective knowledge management, and this is something our panel will be covering today. So let me introduce our guests. First off is Ellie Carswell, a graduate project manager at Programme Management Consultancy Faithful and Gould, who will share her experience of a practical to continuous improvement approach to lessons learned that she helped champion. Dr David Elgleton is a lecturer in project management with innovation studies at the Science Policy Research Unit at the University of Sussex and co-author of soon-to-be-published APM Research into what makes projects successful. He's authored an article on knowledge management in the summer issue of Projects. Neil Turner is a reader in project learning at Cranfield University whose focus is on how organisations learn to improve their project performance. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm the editor of APM's quarterly journal Project. I'm delighted to be your host today. This podcast is brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me to talk today about new approaches to lessons learned. The obvious place to start would be to understand why getting lessons learned right is very important to project success. It sounds simple, it sounds obvious, but in practice, I know it's very difficult to pull off. So perhaps, David, would you like to give us a bit of background on this, especially around the APM research you've been involved with? Absolutely. And uh, hello to everyone. It's really important to do these lessons learned reports and to practice knowledge management, because on the one hand, you can identify what went particularly well and identify examples of best practice that can hopefully be disseminated across the entire organisation. That's the nice bit about lessons learned reports. But on the other side are the not so nice aspects, identifying things that did not go so well. And you want to really identify those so that mistakes are not made more than once. There's a quote about doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result. You only want to make each mistake once. If the same mistakes are made, that's bad for everyone and you're not learning. It's probably useful to outline the different types of knowledge that can be logged and disseminated. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Of course. This is something that we try to get across to all of our students at the University of Sussex right from the very first lecture, that there's an underlying structure to knowledge. Generally speaking, there are two categories. The first is probably the one that most people immediately think about when they think about knowledge. They think about books. They think about things that are codified, so codified knowledge. So books, report, formalised lessons learned reports, they tend to have a lot of power associated with them because they are often actual physical artefacts. When you write something down, you give a certain power to those words. However, it's not the only kind of knowledge. You've got tacit knowledge, which is a different kind of knowledge that's just as valuable, in fact, 
maybe even more so, but it's much trickier to transfer because what I'm about to say, it's experiential knowledge. You can't just read a report and do it. It's a bit like riding a bike. None of us, or at least those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to ride bikes, read a book and then got on a bike and went down the proverbial <laughs> hill for the first time. No, we all had to learn by doing. We had to experience it. We had to fall off our bikes probably on more than one occasion before we got it right. And it still holds true today. It's still just as tricky to get. That's why we have apprenticeships so you can pick up tacit knowledge. It's why we have mentorship arrangements. But it can be incredibly valuable because oftentimes the most valuable knowledge isn't written down in books or in reports. It's in people's head. It's the know-how. It's being able to, to use machinery with their hands. And that's why I'm really glad that APM puts so much emphasis into knowledge management in terms of tacit forms. Thank you. Neil, perhaps you could tell us a bit around the specific challenges around this kind of knowledge. It's not straightforward stuff that you can necessarily put down in a database, although I know that that is done. But what are the unique features of tacit knowledge? What are the challenges that are presented around sharing lessons on that? As David said, it, it is a major challenge. And I think the tacit explicit distinction is really important. You absolutely have to have the explicit knowledge, the codified systems within an organisation. It's very important. But I think the elements that make or break projects, the really important pieces of information are often tacit. It's knowing who to speak to. It's the particular experts that you have. It's the judgment that they use, which you really can't capture so easily. So in lessons learned databases, when you try and learn from projects, again, this should be simple. We should do a lot of projects and get better at it. But in practice, this doesn't seem to happen, which is very frustrating. In terms of the knowledge that we can capture and learn from, since most projects have a sort of technical element, you've really got to capture some of the technical work that's done and some of the good and bad things that happen there. So I'm from an engineering background myself and my experience of doing this, you can capture technical knowledge from projects probably somewhat more easily than the project knowledge. So if you build a particular system, you can learn what works, what doesn't. You can codify that, you can share it with others. And so I think that's probably the more straightforward of the two. When you're looking at why a particular project went well or went badly, rarely is it a case that a particular incident caused it to go particularly well or particularly badly. It's a range of factors. It's a range of things going on. And often when you meet people afterwards to get their feedback of what they thought was good or bad, there's rarely a completely consistent view anyway. So trying to capture this project went well because, try and capture it in simple terms, and or this project went badly because, it's never that simple to do. Trying to tell that story is very difficult. And often what we do try and do is to, is to try and capture it in a database for others to read. So it's difficult to capture it in a few lines. It, often it's quite a long, convoluted story. And for obvious reasons, this starts to get a bit difficult. Quite a lot of research being done on this as to why it's difficult for organisations and I'm sure we've all come across this. We finished the project. You want to do a lessons learned meeting. Everyone's moved on to the next project. If the project goes on for a certain period of time, you've forgotten what happened at the beginning. There's no particular incentive to hold the meeting. Certainly if it went badly, it's just painful to relive it. And so it's really hard for organizations to capture things in a useful way that they can share around. It's just one of those things we'd like to be better at it. But Lots of research, lots of history across a wide range of organisations has shown that it's a challenge and I don't think anyone's really nailed the best way of doing it yet. Well, that shouldn't put us off, should it? Absolutely not. Do you feel as though there is a greater momentum for trying to find better ways 
to do this, to overcome some of the challenges. I'm wondering if the pandemic over the past 12, 18 months has shown that people are up for doing things in a different way. You know, never before have people been forced to experiment with new ways of working. I'm just wondering if this kind of more agile mindset is transferring itself to skills and knowledge of all kinds when it comes to projects and perhaps encompassing lessons learned. Absolutely, yes. We're doing some research on this at the moment. I think organisations have managed incredibly well to actually work differently, to work more remotely. We've all had to do that at a moment's notice. So I think maybe the impetus to work differently, to work more creatively, to try new ways of working, to see what is effective is great, given all the all the turmoil of the last year. And hopefully there's some some benefit that comes out of it. And people are working differently. A lot of organizations are now reflecting, okay, we've worked differently for the last year. What has been successful? What can we keep and take forward as better ways of working? And, and I think that hopefully may lead to some positive outcomes of projects being done better, more effectively. And it gives us that chance to try different approaches. There's a, a straight line you can draw from learning from the experience of others on similar projects, although no project is the same as another. But it seems eminently the right thing to do to, to capitalise on people who've been there and done it and learned the hard way. When it comes to capturing knowledge, that there must be knowledge that is critical to capture and knowledge that is less important. So I guess ideally you'd like to capture everything, but in no way would anyone in future come back and revisit every single piece of knowledge about a project that's happened in the past. It's just not doable. I wanted to ask the three of you, what what is the right knowledge to capture? So Ellie, you're, you are a graduate project manager. You're working on projects live. You're on the front line of projects. When you're approaching a new project, what is the kind of information, the kind of knowledge that you'd like to get your hands on that you might want to find out before you start on that new project? Yeah, thanks, Emma. Um, For me, it's definitely finding the pertinent information that is very specific to that project or perhaps falls within the same sector, um, within the same industry. um, And it's about harnessing the knowledge or the lessons learned that relates to the work that's going to be undertaken, um, perhaps to the teams that we're going to be working with. More recently, I work predominantly with the public sector and public sector clients are really interested in lessons learned and actually looking at the lessons which are very relatable to a specific project so that, as we've mentioned previously, so that we are continuously improving, we're picking up on things that perhaps didn't go quite to plan the first time so that it doesn't happen again. So you're looking for knowledge that is industry specific or project type specific? Yes, I am Mm. personally. Do you also look for knowledge around the skills that project management managers need so whether it's I don't know managing the complexity of a project or dealing with stakeholders do you have interest in that as well learning from previous projects absolutely so definitely focusing on team dynamics so how we work well as a team the skills that are required and perhaps the skills that were missing on a project which would have been invaluable and I think coming from a personal perspective I entered the industry with no prior knowledge of construction whatsoever so instilling that very open and honest environment from the outset and kind of analyzing teams and how we perform together really does create that positive working environment going forwards. David from your research what would you say is the most valuable knowledge to capture through lessons learned? 
That's a really tricky question to answer. <laughs> My natural inclination is to say that you would capture absolutely everything on the basis that it might become useful in the future. And that's probably why I have such a messy office table. <laughs> um, but I suppose throughout your lessons learned document generation process, you need to bear in mind the question, is this actually going to lead to any benefits in the future and I suppose that if you come across an issue and you conclude that it's unlikely to come up again then perhaps you don't necessarily need to document it but that said I would try and document absolutely everything from my own experience of going through lessons learned reports we tended to go through the process looking at key events and try to use them as a lens through which the main lessons could be learned and then go through the project again using a thematic approach to see where, how it actually works. It's just about looking at the project and taking slices through different angles, whether thematically or on a timetable basis. Okay, thanks. And Neil, what do you think is the right knowledge to capture from projects? One of the things that I think is really important is we try and capture as much as we can, which is great, but it's also important to understand who's done something similar before and really just go and ask them. So I think if you, if you know the right people, find someone who's done something similar before and, and you can spend some time with them to pick their brains as to what they did on a similar project. Just have that conversation of what were their experiences? What did they take from it? What do they think of your project? And really try and glean some insight from those who've done similar things before find the right people, call upon their tacit knowledge if you can within the organisation to hopefully head off any other problems as well. So we can try and capture as much as we can in documentation, which is which is wonderful, but also having the ability to go and speak to those people. So if so-and-so wrote the Lessons Learned document, if he or she is available to be spoken to later as well, just to go and talk to them and, and actually get more detail on specific issues, I think that's a really important avenue as well. But isn't that something that needs to be captured through a formal process? So if you're not networked into certain people, you've had no experience in projects in an area that you've never you know, worked in before. How do you know that they're the right people to speak to? How do you how do you find out the people you need to turn to? Does there need to be a formalized way of doing that? Even it doesn't have to be onerous, but at least some way of connecting with the right people. That can be tricky. If it's a new organisation you're joining, then you haven't really got those connections to go and speak to them. But if the organisation can support that, I think it's incredibly powerful to be able to do it. It's not simple and it clearly involves using their time. So I think one of the important issues for organisations is how do we make this work? And if one of the examples that they think could be valuable is making sure people have their time allocated to future projects so they can be asked, then if it's in their job description or their tasks for for the year to be able to be contacted by future project managers and so forth then I think it's very good but you need to understand that's a bit of an investment for the organization clearly it's someone's time it's going to cost a little bit of money in terms of the time that they're spending having those conversations so if the organization supports it and values it and, and enables that to happen I think it can be extremely useful we don't see it as often as perhaps we'd like because most organisations realise it's a, it, it is an overhead that they might encounter, but if you can do it, it can be extremely uh, beneficial. We'll move on later to how to share lessons learned in the right way, but can I ask you, 
is there much impetus within the project profession to go beyond the organisation you work for to find the knowledge you need or to learn from others? So is it good as a profession in terms of connecting with other companies or organisations that are working in a similar field to you to share knowledge? Or is that something that just doesn't really happen? I think that's an incredibly important area. And we're talking about lessons learned from our particular projects. We've done all, we've done projects before. What can we learn from it, et cetera. But learning from others is incredibly powerful also. So if you can learn what other people within your sector are doing, or even from a completely different sector, it's really interesting to read what other organizations in a completely different industry are doing. Are there any good practices that they're incorporating that you're not? And I think this is where APM is very valuable in terms of sharing good practice, sharing good ideas, sharing stories of project successes and even project failures, just to give ideas to project managers about how how that may benefit their own practice. So there's common lessons to be learned across sectors because everyone is working on a project. Everyone needs to deliver a project and at its essence are key skills and key knowledge that you need and it doesn't matter which industry you work in there's always something pertinent to learn from someone else who's working on a project elsewhere I guess. I think that's a very fair comment yes. The next area I'd like to discuss really is how do you capture lessons learned in the right way and when should you do it? Ellie I know that at Faithful and Gould there is leadership from the top around a continuous improvement approach to lessons learned could you tell us a bit about this and how do you capture lessons within your company and when do you do it this all started around two years ago a colleague Natasha and myself got together and just started to think about how we capture lessons learned it shouldn't just be a tick box exercise that people often find another commitment um, to wriggle their way out of attending a workshop. It shouldn't be kind of an exercise where we're recording these lessons learned within a log that sits somewhere internally and is never viewed. And so we started this process of understanding why it's been captured that way to date. And we spoke to other colleagues in the business James Butler, a director in our London and Southeast region. And actually, the idea around continuous improvement was tabled. And I think that is fundamental, really. And it changes your perspective in terms of how we capture these lessons learned. I think. What does it actually mean in practice when we talk about continuous improvement? For those not familiar with it, what does it actually mean day to day? So when we think of a lesson learned, it can be easy for us to be, oh, well, it's a lesson learned, won't happen again. And it can often carry negative connotations. And actually, we're all learning constantly throughout our careers, no matter what grade you're at, and continually improving or developing throughout your career and throughout projects. It goes across all project stages, not just completing these exercises at the end of a project when it completes. It can really help projects be more successful. It can improve the relationship with the stakeholders, um, how we perform as a project team. Um, so that continuous improvement really is about not just scheduling in diary invites to workshops at key stages but actually if something comes up which needs talking about we capture that and we think about ways collaboratively that we can improve upon the situation how do you actually capture it so it's been a bit different this year with um, (laughs) covid and virtual ways of working so How we capture it um, is we set about actually looking at arranging sessions that were very much thematic rather than sessions on a particular project, as I've just said, that fall at project completion. So 
We looked at the themes. What kind of themes did you look at? Give us some examples. Yeah. Themes can include um, particular sectors, whether that's healthcare, education, residential, for example, or even focusing in more detail around planning um, applications, M&E queries, are technical, technical design queries that are very relevant to certain projects. So really very much focusing on the correct lessons that should be taken forward and will help future projects. And how we've done that is, as I've said, we arrange kind of regular workshops that focus on key themes. And it's a very open, honest, collaborative session where everybody is free to um, kind of chip in with their input. And it's captured in a fun way. Um, so before where lessons learned were captured either in a log or kind of a report, which can be quite lengthy, capturing these lessons using digital knowledge sharing apps like Miro or Mural, even um, kind of post-it notes, stuff like that, if you were in person, encourages people to be honest and just encourages kind of that creative thinking really and then we take that knowledge we harness it and we actually kind of showcase it really and present it to colleagues whether it's annually or biannually and um, focus on actually the key lessons learned which um, are very important perhaps that we want to reach a wider audience. So once a project is completed would you then set up one of these theme-based workshops or are they running continuously so people who are mid-project or have just finished a project or are about to embark on one can come and join? Yeah, so the, the latter do obviously have end of key stage workshops and kind of practical completion workshops just to focus on that particular project. But we actually created a timetable that books in these workshops that are very much focused on themes and they will talk about a lot of different projects rather than focusing on one so actually speaking with colleagues who are delivering those projects in the present or perhaps have just finished delivering that project so we can really gain a full awareness of lessons learned in that area and what's the feedback been like you've pitched this idea two years ago and so now how valuable is it proving to be what are people saying about it? Positive um, on the whole. I think it is difficult, as I think we'll come on to later in this podcast around kind of organisational culture. And obviously it's a marathon, not a sprint, changing kind of how people perceive lessons learned as actually positive rather than negative is a task. And I don't think it will happen overnight, but definitely the responses we've had in terms of the materials that we've prepped to enable a more collaborative workshop, whether that be agendas or kind of pointers to help people lead that discussion, that's been received very positively. Thank you, Ellie. Neil, what are your thoughts around capturing lessons learned in the right way and when should you do it? That sounds brilliant from what Ellie just said. That's a really excellent idea. It seems to be very effective. And I'm a big fan of the sort of the social knowledge sharing of what's going on, what experiences people have had what other projects are coming across. And, and that example there seemed perfect. You've got a number of projects, many of whom are likely to be encountering the same sorts of challenges or the ones that have just finished. What can we share with the new projects? And just sharing it amongst team members, enabling them to have conversations, share experiences of what was good, what was bad, and just um, sharing it around the organisation. It's, it's relatively difficult to get that level of engagement and interest from a, a document which can be quite dry and people are busy not necessarily have time to read it but if you're actually in the room or on a on a virtual meeting where other people are telling stories of what they've done and how they're doing it it becomes a lot more real and I think a lot more tangible once you see that so no I think that's incredibly powerful so in terms of capturing lessons learned if you can try and keep it as a regular knowledge capture session so every gate review it or some sort of 
appropriate timescale. Certainly leaving it to the end of a long project is probably inappropriate because people are just going to forget. But yeah, the ability to share, the ability to tell stories and the ability to remember that story. You read a document, you know, you might forget it. But if someone's there in front of you telling you about their challenges and what they did, it becomes a lot more real in your own memory. And that, that maybe help you when you come, you come across it next time in your career. I think we're amalgamating now the, the ways you capture lessons and then how you actually share them. So let's just go with that. I think Ellie's already talked about having these kind of workshops. Ellie, something you haven't mentioned was, um, I know we've talked about before, is volunteer champions. So can you tell us a bit about that? So in order to roll this out more from a local perspective um, to perhaps a wider audience, we came up with the idea of creating kind of lessons learned champions um, who would be responsible for an office, perhaps a team if that team is particularly large, and would be responsible for making sure that these workshops are happening regularly, people are actually seeing the benefit of lessons learned and this continuous improvement. And the idea is that this champion role would hopefully go on to the next generation so that we're continuing kind of that positive learning culture at work. Is this something that can be measured? Are you measuring the way that lessons learned are kind of improving? Do you have a benchmark or how? You, or is it much more informal? Lessons learned often feeds into a lot of KPI data that we collect for clients. And we're finding actually that there are many clients who are very responsive to our proposed structure. I myself have actually delivered a lessons learned workshop using this style um, in terms of very interactive and collaborative with clients and stakeholders. So now we've extended it beyond kind of our project teams within the office um, and it's been received really well. And how I guess how we capture that is that it's a difficult question in terms of we've just talked about getting away from the kind of monotonous um, process of recording meetings, but they are important. Um, and so usually a very brief set of minutes um, will be issued, but actually we capture the lessons learned more visually. So whether it's taking those lessons learned captured on post-it notes and putting it into a visual log or putting it into um, a visual dashboard, these are all kind of new strategies that we're exploring. Brilliant. Neil, there was one thing I wanted to ask you more about before I move on. Storytelling. So you said it's very effective to get people to tell stories. What, what do you mean by that? And what advice would you give? What could people experiment with in their own organisations? I think this goes back to the idea that often project successes or failures are not necessarily things you can summarise in a few sentences. It can often be really difficult to contextualise it with the particular project. One of the excellent ideas I have seen in a large IT organisation is getting project managers to write down quite detailed, effectively, papers on what happened in this particular project and why. Really very detailed explanations of the context, what happened, why these things happened. And this takes quite some time to do. And these actually get peer reviewed. So it's a really involved process. Managers will write these long, detailed stories, sort of four, six pages long, explaining what happened and why for others to read. Then they get reviewed. And if it's not clear, they can be refined until it does make sense. And so you can get managers to really give a detailed explanation of particular events, particular outcomes for others to learn from, which is then shared around the organization on the Internet. And the ones that do really well, the really interesting ones get get voted up and, and, and then these managers become almost quite famous for what they've written. But that's that's hard to do. So it's fantastic when it works. But how do you get people to do that? And there is quite a straightforward way, which is to put it into people's annual goals. You need to write one or two of these. And then it's on your goals for the year to write one and make it good. 
and get it onto the system. And if people are recognized for the high quality of work they do, that's great for them personally and professionally. So, so there is a way to do it, which I think is an extremely positive storytelling way. Uh, so that's one way that can be done. Again, it takes a fair bit of time to write this, but if the benefit is shared around the organization, it, it's clearly time well spent. And the other way that can be done is, again, more of a storytelling, tacit knowledge sharing, face-to-face -face social way, which is when you do a project kickoff meeting for, for your new project, try and invite project managers or team members from similar projects, maybe that have just finished or that or are mid-flight, to those kickoff meetings and use them as a sounding board for ideas. So again, just trying to get them to explain what they're doing on, on similar projects, if that's appropriate, just to try and say, here's what we did, here's how it went, here's what you found to be good, here's what you found to be less good, just to contextualize it for new project members. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this sort of thinking of project knowledge as being heavily social, as well as the codified knowledge that you can put in a database. Thank you. That's really interesting. David, what would you like to say on it? Because I know that in the feature you wrote for the summer issue of Project Journal on knowledge management, you mentioned the communities of practice, which is not a new idea, I guess, but it seems to be an effective one. And it's the first time I've come across this lovely term of being a boundary spanner. So would you mind telling us a bit about communities of practice and these boundary spanners? Of course. I'd just like to say that I'm in total agreement with Ellie. What she's doing sounds fantastic. And I'd also like to absolutely agree with the importance of actually using these lessons learned reports. If you write a lessons learned report and it just stays up on a shelf gathering dust or on a hard drive that no one can access it, well, it's been a bit of a wasted exercise and everything that Ellie's doing sounds really interesting and keep at it keep at it so in terms of communities of practice it sounds very academic and very technical but it's actually right there in the APM book of knowledge if you just think of them as a community based around knowledge that is independent of your organizational structure you can start to get to grips with it it's almost like an onion it's a series of layers with the core team at the center with increasingly peripheral players as you get further away from the core of that onion or whatever other metaphor or simile you prefer to use. But it, there isn't just one community of practice within an organization or within a sector. There will be many and there will be overlapping onions, if you will. And there will be people who are members, perhaps peripheral players, between one, two, three, or more communities. And we call those people boundary spanners. And they're the most interesting people, in my opinion, because they help to bring in the new knowledge and the new ideas. They help to introduce people from one community into another. And one idea that I've had, and it's something that I think is going to appear in the article, is that embracing this within your project and including team members who are there to act as boundary spanners, between different projects, almost going around and cross-pollinating ideas between one project and another in almost real time so that the lessons learned are almost uh, getting implemented in real time. But it does require a, an exceptionally special sort of person um, and they might be quite tricky to find. But could it be some, a role that someone could take on voluntarily a bit like what Ellie was saying about being a volunteer, a champion of lessons learned. Could you see a way that this could be a role that people took on part time or when they 
more interested in a particular subject, could it be incorporated into project lifecycle that way? I see absolutely no reason why not. It just requires someone who's really very curious and can get on with all sorts of people who isn't afraid to ask seemingly stupid questions such as, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that in this way? Such that that tacit knowledge is transferred and then can be cross-pollinated to other projects. Thanks. I think this taps into the next big area. Uh, which is organisational culture. So an organisational culture that wants to foster an environment where people are incentivised to share knowledge, to be open, honest, transparent about good lessons, but also bad lessons. There's a sense of trust that needs to be there, that psychological safety. And everyone's talking about growth mindsets these days, but that's very much determined by the overall culture of a project or an organisation. How critical is it to have that in order to achieve highly effective lessons learned? Neil, what's your thoughts on that? Yes, thank you. It, it's it's absolutely vital, I think, but it's, it's really quite a challenge to do. So I think we all sort of recognise the benefit of it's good to share knowledge, it's, it's good to put a hand up when mistakes are made so that others can share but I think it's quite a hard one for most organisations to actually accept. And some industries do it exceptionally well. So I'm thinking the aviation industry is normally the, the exemplar of that. Anything goes wrong at all and organisations try and learn from it because literally lives are on the line if we don't learn properly. So the aviation industry, the military also very good at this because literally it's life and death if you can learn from this particular exercise or this particular engagement. So that's, that's very good. Some of the medical industry as well is, is very good at learning from that. So I think when you've got the extreme criticality of what you're doing, learning kind of becomes front and centre for very obvious reasons. I, I think when it's less critical projects, the incentive is, is somewhat dull. So if your project's a little bit late, a little bit over budget, frankly, the stress isn't quite the same level, but it certainly needs to be driven from the top and actually getting managers to promote knowledge sharing, to get people to speak to each other, to get people to open up when it didn't go as well as it could do. What can we do about it? As soon as someone puts their hand up and says, we made a mistake. Sorry about that. What can we learn from it? If that is accepted and we try and share knowledge from it, great. If the first thing that happens is that you're you're hung out to dry for it, then clearly won't do it again so so there's it, it's quite hard to build that culture within an organization but if you can do it it's a it's a serious competitive advantage i think because it's so hard but again managers have to be very aware that you mustn't punish the the bearer of bad news when these things happen so it's really quite easy to say i think in practice it it is quite hard to do as he said it's it has to come from the top the acceptance of trying new things so learning is not just learning from mistakes, learning what went well and repeating it. It's also saying, are we accepting new ways of, of doing our projects? Can we try new techniques? Can we try new solutions? They may not work. We can't guarantee it. Uh, but if you have a good attempt at something that should work and perhaps it didn't work as well as we expected, you know, you do need to reward that as a good try and, and show that the organization promotes it. If you try something new and it doesn't work and there's punishment to the team, well, teams are strongly disincentivized to try it again. So I think it's that leadership from the top of let's try something new, certainly in the COVID area. What can we do? Can we use that as a way of, of trying new, new ways forward, exploring new solutions and perhaps abandoning some old ways of working that we've historically done, but we kind of forget why. 
So it's, it's one for senior managers to think of, what can we do to promote this? What, how can we reward that sort of behaviour? And I guess that means bringing in support from people like HR who are able to filter that down to every level of an organisation and can be the ones to help work out incentives and rewards for that kind of open, trusting behaviour. Yes, yes. Again, it's certainly not particularly easy, but I think if you can pull it off, that's great. If you can put some of these behavioural aspects into people's goals, into people's job descriptions, that would be absolutely um, marvellous. Just going back to the comments just now about about knowledge showing behaviour and how you can do it. I was working with an engineering organisation a couple of years ago. Um, It's a medium-sized engineering organisation, lots of relatively small projects Uh, But often people didn't really speak to each other just because they were so busy with the work. It's quite understandable. And so the organisation implemented a project management office and put in a new PMO manager who actually wasn't from a technical background, but she was just a fantastic communicator, spoke to all the all the various projects, seeing how they were going, what was going on. And she was that boundary spanner of seeing what the projects were encountering, seeing that other projects had similar challenges and just putting people in touch with each other. So there's a there's a mechanism there through the PMO who can actually look at this on an almost day by day basis. Can we put the right people in touch with each other? Can we use that as a knowledge sharing mechanism by having a small number of people who can actually do that as part of their role to see what's going on, which is normally outside the remit of individual project managers and share it around in a practical manner. And that turned out to be incredibly effective in terms of the knowledge sharing that came out of it. A lot of problems were solved because a lot of people had similar issues but didn't know that others were encountering the same problems. So there are practical steps that can be done to implement that way of working. That sounds like a great idea. I mean, Ellie, you've been at the cutting edge of doing this within your company. What have been the challenges when it comes to getting people to approach lessons learned in a different way? Because I'm sure there must be challenges. As soon as you present a new way of doing things, there's going to be people who are automatically resistant because it's change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially being in a large large organisation, there are many initiatives that are being pushed and sometimes it can be very easy for it to all become too much. And It really resonated with me what Neil was saying in terms of having that top level buy-in. I would say actually being given the freedom to push an initiative, um, especially from my level as a graduate, has been thoroughly rewarding. And I think there is definitely a balance between being there to support, but definitely encouraging you to think of these things on your own and actually see how you can improve things for the wider business. And I think that brings me on to kind of a different angle around inquisitiveness um, within an organisational culture. So not just focusing on lessons learned but just generally inquisitiveness to learning so I think this relates to many different aspects which can create a better culture in terms of arranging CPD sessions or touching in with other colleagues um, in different offices across the UK across the world and just really sharing kind of the skills and the talents that we have that often do go unnoticed and I think going back to really the fundamental kind of skill of being a project manager being very solution focused working with teams to really realize the skills within each individual team member um, and how that can be hugely beneficial um, for project delivery that feeds in to being open and trusting with the team and if you get that right at the beginning then I think it, it becomes easier in the long run as you're delivering projects. I guess it can come down often to an individual project manager or project leader. And if they have that mindset and encourage it and lead by example, then others in the team will have that 
psychological safety to behave in that way. But it's it's not always the case. David, was there anything you wanted to add around organisational culture and how it can be conducive to effective knowledge sharing? Yes, it can be incredibly um, industry specific. And while it often comes right from the top, I did my PhD looking at big science projects. And a lot of the scientists within those big science projects aren't there to, to do projects, they're there to do experiments. But in order for them to do experiments, they have to build the apparatus in the first place. So they would actually get quite demotivated because they'd be four or five years into building um, their piece of apparatus and they just couldn't understand how their teeny tiny technical problem, turning a screw or whatever, contributed to the project as a whole and their future experimentation. And one of the things that a lot of big science laboratories do is insist on a weekly colloquium. We have it at a lot of universities as well. It sort of gets us out of our rut and gets us discussing ideas and concepts and seeing what everyone else is doing, because otherwise you just tend to get a bit demotivated. There's a massive theme around data analytics and AI, and I'm wondering how big an effect this might have on the way we approach lessons learned. I'm not talking about the nitty-gritty technical aspects, but I wondered if any of you had thoughts on how that might change the way knowledge is captured and how it's shared. David, did you have any thoughts on this? I think it might lead to an entirely new stream, a sort of parallel to knowledge management in terms of delivering insights. What you're likely to see is perhaps a move away from the idea of sharing sector-specific knowledge on the basis that there will be all sorts of opportunities for different ideas and different data to contribute to new insights. A few years ago, for example, there was a real challenge in terms of getting, I think it was polio vaccines, which would need to be refrigerated into remote areas of the world. However, there was a certain amount of knowledge sharing and data analytics. And I believe one of the major soft drink companies got involved and helped them resolve that. So I think that knowledge management will always have its place, but data analytics may lead to an entirely separate stream of things going on. If that does happen, I think we'll see what it's starting first in the industries that Neil has previously mentioned, things like engineering, aircraft. And I would also add to that elite sport, where it seems to be taking place in real time, um, particularly in Formula One race cars, because they've not got much time. So they're already working with an agile mindset. There's so many sensors involved. There's also people involved. Um, It may already be happening, to be quite honest with you. Um, We've covered a lot of ground. I thought, just in summing up, that it would be a great idea for each of you to give maybe one or two important pieces of advice that you would pass on to listeners who are up for trying something new or building on something that they're doing already or just need some kind of inspiration or encouragement. So if it's okay with you, I'd really welcome one piece of advice or more if you want that might help listeners. So Ellie, can I go to you first? Just to summarise, I would say try not to play the blame game. Um, It's very easy to see 
a lesson learned as a negative thing. And actually, I think we should all be harnessing the benefits of taking that knowledge forward to future teams, to future projects, um, just so that we can create that really open and honest environment for future generations. Thank you. And Neil, any advice you'd pass on? Just to try and broaden out the lessons learned slightly from what we normally do. We normally look at time, cost and quality. How do we go against our metrics, etc., which clearly is incredibly important. But can we look beyond that and think about some other things? So specifically, how did the project go for all the various stakeholders? How did it go in terms of the project delivery for the client? How did it go for the team? Maybe you met all your targets, but really the team were completely burnt out as part of it. Was that a good thing? How could we do that better? So it's moving on a little bit. And also, certainly given recent events, it's worth thinking, well, how did we react to the unexpected? It's no good saying, well, things happened and we didn't meet the plan. That's life. It's very strange, but never mind. I think it's worth thinking most projects encounter some sort of difficulty, some sort of unexpected events. It's worth reflecting on our project. How did we deal with it? How did we deal with those emergent challenges and see if we could do better next time. It's unrealistic to think that our projects will go entirely to plan. How good are we at responding to the emergent uh, difficulties that we're going to face? And can we do it better next time? Because it's probably going to happen. Thank you. And David, any final thoughts or takeaways for listeners? Knowledge is shared by people who show up to the meeting. And in my personal experience, the return on investment of coffee and catering is extraordinarily high. Even in a virtual world, it can be replicated. That's one of the tricky bits we're actually having at the moment in this virtual online world. We thought about pizza delivery. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, all three of you, for contributing to today's great conversation. And I hope you've all taken something fresh away from this too. And listeners will also benefit from that. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to look out for more APM podcasts or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and more. We'd also welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk. Thank you.